and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Wells and Devani, and the citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 4. This week we head back to the basics of contract law as the Supreme Court steps in to offer its view of how and when a contract can arise. While this will probably not end up being a classic in the mould of, say, Carl Earl and Carbolic Smokeball, there is enough here for any law student to take the principles and then demonstrate a good knowledge of recent case law. Let's begin with the facts of the case that take us back to 2007 and the completion by Mr Wells of a block of flats. Unfortunately, by the time that 2008 came around, there were still seven flats on the market, but an estate agent, the appellant Mr Devani, was contacted through a mutual friend and the two parties to this case were put in touch with each other. What exactly was said and agreed in that first conversation is a matter of some debate. While Devani submitted that he had told Wells that his commission for any sales was 2% plus VAT, Wells stated that there was no mention of a commission whatsoever. Either way, Devani clearly did an effective job as he got in touch with Newland Housing Trust, who then bought the remainder of the properties for a fee of £2.1 million. The present case arose because when Devani subsequently claimed his commission, Wells refused to pay up. When the facts were examined before the county court, the judge found that there was indeed a binding contract between the parties and found in favour of Devani. The only problem was that he had not complied with section 18.1 of the Estate Agents Act 1979, which states that an estate agent in Devani's position has to provide the client Wells with certain information before entering into agency work for that client. That phone call we mentioned earlier is itself not enough to meet this requirement as the details have to be in writing and it has to be made clear which event will actually entitle the agent to the commission. While in certain cases this failure can lead to the dismissal of an agent's application, in this context the judge decided that Devani should still get his commission albeit subject to a reduction of one-third. Wells appealed the case to the Court of Appeal where he was successful on the basis that there was no legally binding contract between the parties. The reasoning follows that while terms could certainly be implied into a completed contract, it is not possible to do the same thing with respect to an incomplete contract. To be more specific about this particular case, the question surrounding the agent's commission was of fundamental importance to the contract and is something that can vary greatly from one agreement to the next. Given that this had not been set out by the parties, it could not be said that there was a legally binding relationship between them. On the other hand, Lady Justice Arden dissented and held that the trial judge was entitled to find that there was a contract in existence between the parties and furthermore that said contract could be interpreted as containing a term that requires payment of a 2% commission on completion of the purchase. With the Court of Appeal divided, the case went to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick it up. The main dividing point is whether or not there actually was a contract, and the approach taken by the courts in these circumstances is an objective one, and looks at the words and conduct of the parties to see if there was an intention to create a legally binding relationship. Once that intention has been established, the courts will always then be reluctant to simply say that the actual terms cannot be uncovered because they are too vague or uncertain. 
Instead, they will look to see what the reasonable man would consider the terms of the agreement to be. In this case, there was a clear understanding between the parties that a commission will be paid to Devani, and it is fair to assume that this will take place upon completion of the purchase. With that in mind, there is actually no need to try and imply a term into the agreement as it already stands, but the justice is held that even if implying such a term was necessary, there was no problem with a term like this that does not go beyond what is required and serves to make the agreement effective within the business environment. Finally, the Supreme Court also unanimously found that the trial judge had been correct in their approach to the Estate Agents Act 1979. While a court does generally have the right under Section 18.6 to dismiss such an application, where there is only a minor impact on the final agreement, it is more appropriate to instead reduce the final award. In fact, the Court of Appeal was wrong to completely set aside this decision of the trial judge on the basis of what they consider to be minor errors committed by the judge in the county court. And this criticism of the Court of Appeal is actually also a good place to begin with our analysis of this case, and not just because Lords, Justice, Lewison and McComb overstretched when it came to the Estate Agents Act 1979. That overall judgment of the majority seems to fly in the face of not only existing case law, but also the basic tenets of contract law that are learned by most first-year students on the LLB. There was complete confusion over implied terms and how and when they should be used. For a start, deciding to only imply terms where there is already a completed contract only serves to unnecessarily limit the scope of contract law and what the courts have the power to do. Indeed, in Ian Green Residential Limited and Asfari from 2007, a term was implied into an estate agent agreement so as to constitute a contract, and this approach is not uncommon across the commercial sector. To be honest, though there is something of an obsession with implied terms among students, academics and judges involved in contract law, that could do with going away. Don't get me wrong, this is an important and controversial topic, but the list of cases where it is actually relevant is much more limited than most lawyers seem to think. Not only did this come across in the Court of Appeal judgment, but an article about the case by UCL professor Paul S. Davis was correct to criticise the judgment, but focused heavily on the use of implied terms as the potential solution. It is therefore a very good thing that the Supreme Court has gone some way to resetting the scales on this subject especially in a commercial context like this. The existence of a legally binding agreement is dependent on an objective assessment of the words and actions of the parties, but in a commercial context, that is always much more likely to lead to a conclusion that such a relationship does exist. Once that first step is established, it is then very likely that the terms of the agreement will be identified by the court from the circumstances of the case itself and there will be no need for a judge to insert herself in order to imply terms into the contract herself. It is always going to be very tempting for judges to think that they know best and to imply terms into a contract on that basis, but in the majority of cases this will not be necessary, and it is important to always remember that the agreement is first and foremost dependent on what is actually agreed between the parties themselves. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode and thanks as ever to bensound.com for providing the music. You'll be pleased to know that we are now over 100 reviews on iTunes, which is more than I ever expected us to get to. 
And as promised, I will stop pestering you on the podcast about it. However, if people do continue to leave reviews, then I will still make sure that I read out your name on the podcast. For example, and George recently left a review and said that the podcast was one of the reasons that he's actually converting to law. So thank you very much and good luck with your studies. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!